0: You are listening to The Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Nicole Ackman's interviews with the stars of the new film Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Leslie Manville and Lucas Bravo, Academy Award-winning costume designer Jenny Beavan, and the writer, director, and producer Anthony Fabian.
1: Home's away. Mrs. Harris, what would I do without you?
0: Mrs. Harris, it's the soul of discretion. One would never know she'd been,
2: but for the polish on my knobs.
3: That's what we are, Vi, the invisible women. Kiss me once, and kiss me twice, and kiss me once again. Isn't it divine? 500 pounds. 500 quid for a dress? When I put it on, nothing else matters. My Eddie would
1: love to see me in a Dior G-O gown. war has been over a long time. Your Eddie's never coming back. So first of all, thank you both so much for chatting with me today. Okay. Thank you. So I wanted to ask first, just you know, what drew you to these roles in this movie? Um, well, it's a lovely script and uh it,
3: it's uh
4: money, you were saying the other day. Money,
3: yeah, money <laughs> drew you to it as well. Um yeah, I did say that the other day. Thanks for that, Lucas. Um, <laughs> um and uh, personally, I, it was the kind of film I sort of was wanting to make, the kind of character I was wanting to play. I happened to have been doing uh, quite a few characters leading up to it who were, you know, quite the other end of the scale, a bit tough and a bit unpleasant at times. And I just thought it'd be nice to play this very wholesome, lovely, gen- generous-spirited, whole-hearted woman. And the money. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and Lucas, what about you? Um, I,
4: I was I was just you know uh, grateful to have an opportunity to be part of the auditions and 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 get to uh, play Andre and uh, and then just just being able to you know kind of it was kind of therapeutic for me. It was it reminded me of my my teenage years and this clumsiness and this shyness and 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 that. I I loved the 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 contradiction in him I mean the the conflict of having this growing love and 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 feeling less and less able to verbalize it to Natasha.
1: So obviously they're they're both fantastic characters. Was there anything that you sort of felt over the course of playing them changed about your perception of the character um or that you discovered sort of through playing them about them?
3: Um well I think that you you kind of uh, not on a kind of uh, if you're ex- expecting an answer that's to, about a big revelation, no. But I think when you when you play a character, like in any film that you do, it, it it kind of develops incrementally, little bits at a time, and you know every day of filming brings you something else, some other thoughts about them, and um, and it happens quite organically, which is very good way for it to to develop i mean you can't you can't always sit at home and work out how you're going to play each scene you you have to give yourself very generous brush strokes about the whole the whole project and then um you know be open on the day to to play things and when you've got nice actors to work with um and you're open to that all all kinds of developments can can happen
4: i agree there's there's a uh, there's there's um i mean you're kind of tuning in your instruments and 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 trying to find a a groove for your character but when once you get to set you it's a melody uh, the movie is a melody and everybody you know there there are other instruments and so you're finding you're finding a different groove because we have to play together as an ensemble and and so uh from from one scene to another we find little little uh, little uh, instincts and nuances that that make it better and, and more organic
1: so i know that you all were filming you know sort of during quarantine so obviously that had challenges of its own but what were some of the challenges of working on this film
3: well it was covid really i mean and it was so it was it was a shame because Budapest. We shot most of it in Budapest, um, and it's such a beautiful place. And I, you know, I would love to go back there. Hopefully, on you know, on uh, on the other side of COVID. But um, you know, we couldn't really use the city in the way I would have liked to because of the restrictions, and and we couldn't we couldn't really have the sort of social life that we really wanted to have because restaurants were closed and, you know, so much was unobtainable, but, um, it, it was, it was very nice chemistry between between us on the set and the filming that, that, that kind of got, got me through it certainly, but that was the biggest challenge, just not being able to have that kind of life. And also, you know, the crew you felt for them, they were in their masks all day, 12 hour days. And it, I just, so it was very tough on them, really. I mean, we obviously have to take our masks off to do the scenes, but it was tough on them.
1: Absolutely.
3: I mean, that was a challenge, wasn't it? Really, that COVID was really the thing. The rest of it was, was you know, joyous.
4: Yeah, I was actually surprised how 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 COVID became a something in the background. We 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 apart from the seven a.m. Uh, you know uh, soul swap, uh, everything was. Honestly, COVID wasn't wasn't the center of everything because we we found our little rhythm and we would have our um, Sunday lunch uh, at Leslie and uh, cook together and and the dynamic was really good and uh, I think when when everything is going uh, the way it went, um, COVID is is really not on the first, not a not an issue.
1: Great to hear. So what do you think makes the character that you play in this film sort of different from other characters that you've played before?
3: I, I mean, Ada's, you know, she's up there as one of the world's nicest women, really, kindest and loveliest and all of that. So, I mean, I have done other parts like that. I mean, I suppose one that springs to mind is is my character, Kathy, in Mum, this BBC series. You know, she's lovely as well, but... um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably I'm more known for doing, you know, tortured souls, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was really lovely to play somebody as um, as big hearted as as Ada.
4: Yes, it it uh, for me for I mean the the my 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 main uh, project uh, having been uh, Gabriel and. Him being a bit objectified and being, you know, the boy next door, it it felt it felt good to show something else and to uh, bring a little nuance to to my palette and do something a bit more. Uh, Tony was saying uh, the other day that um, some some friends of his or producers were saying, I don't think he's right for the part because they were saying they were seeing that you know objectified aspects of of what I can do and so i was i was grateful that he, he he trusted me to to bring something different and to show a different physicality and a different energy and uh and uh and it's just fun to 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 propose something further away from you you know um, i think i think the the hardest parts are the ones that really resemble your personality because there's always a moment where where there's a line that you cross or not and you don't really know if if it's you or if it's the character and it's those are the trickiest ones.
1: That makes total sense. So obviously a lot of Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris revolves around Dior and the dresses uh, that Mrs. Harris wants one of so badly. So I was curious, did either of you have a favorite costume piece in the film, either one that you wore or someone else's costume even? I was quite fond of Ada's
3: hat. Which is which I've kept. Oh, you kept uh, it? Yeah, I asked to keep oh. it. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. I know. I, know. I won't be wearing it, obviously.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: and I loved the dress that she gets fitted for the, at the um atelier I, I it's a beautiful dress but for but for me it was really and I've forgotten the name of the dress now but in the fashion show um Alba who plays Natasha she comes on with the little black and white dress the famous famous frock that was obviously Jenny Bevan who did the costume design had it was a copy of the original but it's a famous photo from the 50s and it's this little black and white frock and the little hat or i mean she just looked edible it's so such a beautiful beautiful dress um so that that was a a moment for me i mean i really was sitting there as leslie going oh my god look at her she looks so gorgeous and yeah it was lovely so that was that they're such lovely shapes anyway those clothes of that period
4: absolutely Yes, all the costumes. and
3: i did love lucas's baggy trousered suits because <laughs> they're as he was saying yesterday they're very comfortable aren't they
4: mm. yeah i wish i wish i was i was uh i was uh, part of the fashion in the 50s it was so mm. uh, such a perfect combination of comfort and and classy and uh, now now comfort goes with uh you know Joggers and stuff like that, so <laughs> you would never see that in the '50s, someone you know going to buy bread on the Sunday with his, his running outfit or something. and so oh. I, I kind of miss <laughs> that, that like classy, no matter what: kind of I
3: do, I do. because um, I was on a plane the other day, I was looking at people. I mean obviously, you just want to be comfortable on a plane, especially when it's a long flight, but you know, back in the '50s, people would have really dressed up to get yeah. on a plane. You know, they'd wear their high heels and all of that. I yeah. mean, dreadful if you're having to come off the ramp and you know get into <laughs> yeah. the
4: water. It was easier to take pictures back then to take beautiful pictures because every everybody was there was always a sense of you know, yeah. Uh, and now it's just you know, electronic scooters and joggings and that, and it's, it's <laughs> something very timeless.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And then I wanted to ask, you know, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris because she wants to buy one of these Dior dresses, and she's saved up, and you know, it's kind of her dream to to have one of them. Could you relate to that? Has there ever been something that you really wanted, and sort of buying it, you know, meant something to you?
0: I mean,
3: I mean, yeah. When I was younger, and and you know, money was was more tight. I I I, I did cover but various items, you know, shoes or dresses. And yeah, and I've got a couple of dresses that I bought when I was around about 18, 19, and they were vintage at the time. So mm. they're even more vintage now, but they're beautiful. And they've they they they've lasted, you know, I, I can still wear them. Um, and I really did, you know, cover them. And I just wanted them because they were beautiful. I mean, I wasn't really buying them for any particular occasion. I just wanted them in my life and so I completely understand Ada just wanting this dress and you know as um as Isabel Luper's character says to Ada when are you going to wear it I mean mm-hmm. wh- where are you going to be going that's going to allow you to wear this dress and in a way that's not the point you know it's about having it
1: Lucas what about you
4: i was trying to think about something yesterday and and i just came up with uh, traveling i think i think mm-hmm. it's it's my it's the thing i i, I crave the most and uh, uh in my teenage years i would i would save up and and just just go as far as possible and just just to look into the horizon and and and, and feel some you know stillness and quiet and contemplation and uh and recharge and i think i think uh, you know living in in boxes and buildings and not being able to project your vision into there's always a wall or something or noise you know there's always some like a car or it's it's there's a lot of pollution like screens uh, sounds um, smells and noise and and so I I always felt attracted to to nothing you know where you actually feel small and alone and uh, and that that that's why I was saving money for. Mm.
1: That's lovely. Well, thank you both so much for chatting with me today. I'm so excited for other people to get to see this film, which is absolutely gorgeous. And, and, you know, like you said, I think like Mrs. Harris herself, so warm hearted. So. Yeah. Uh, good. Thank absolutely. you. Well, thank you both so much. Have a great rest of your day. You, you too. too. Okay. Bye for now. I'm
2: a moment dreaming, That's what you are. You're a
4: dreamer. You should have been receiving a war widow's pension. It comes quite a tidy sum. Oh, it's my
3: Eddie. It's a sign from my angel. What are you going to do? I'm going to buy a dress. A Christian
5: Dior from Paris. Ni ce départ, ni
3: navire. Excuse me, dear. I'm after a frock, one of them 500 pound ones. You have the wrong,
4: dress. Please, let me squat you out. No,
3: no, no, hang on a minute. I saved every penny scrubbing floors so I can buy this frock.
4: Excuse me, but it would be my honor to have you view the collection as my guest.
5: Ni tout cela, ni rien au monde... Oh,
4: that's lovely. <laughs>
5: A dress is designed to astonish. How will you do that, Mrs. Harris? You are nobody. Invisible.
1: Hi. Well, first of all, I want to say I absolutely love your work for this film. I think all of the costumes in this are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, that's kind. Thank you. What drew you to work on this movie? The
5: story of Leslie Manville um, who I'd had worked with on Cranford and I've seen a lot of her work and I just think she is completely extraordinary and a lovely human being. Um, so it was, it was just, I think, you know, it's a lovely story and the thing, although this is also started pre-COVID, you know, when, when we could actually do things and go out and, you know, but, um, later on it was just wonderful to be able to work because we were considered a, an essential industry and it meant you weren't tied to home you could go out to costume houses and anything that was open which was not a lot um <laughs> at that time but you know that that was definitely great for us to, to not be confined so much
1: were you familiar with the story before you know reading the script had you read the novel or seen the 1992 tv film no i i, I wasn't i i
5: had i definitely knew quite a lot about Paul Gallico and I'd read Jenny. Mm-hmm. We had a cat called Jenny Baldron, who had been donated when the owners went to Australia. Um, and so of course I'd read Jenny Baldwin and, um, and the one about the Dunkirk um, D-Day, mm. um, the Dunkirk landings anyway. Um, but no, I hadn't read Mrs. Harris and I hadn't seen the film, um, the Angela Lansbury.
1: Well, it's such a beautiful story. And, um, obviously, it's also a period piece. And I know you've been doing really beautiful work in period drama since the beginning of your career. So this is really nothing new to you. But I was curious, what sort of research were you doing to, you know, recreate these 1950s looks? Um, I remember it. I, I was there. I mean, obviously, as a child in the 50s, but
5: I, I do remember, what I remember very clearly is which is so different to now is how little we had and that was normal we didn't have tons of clothes you know and you wore it round and round and you mended it and you kept it very clean and and you polished your shoes but you only had three pairs you had your indoor shoes your outdoor shoes and a pair for gym you know it it wasn't like now this sort of and nothing was throw away in our dustbin there was very little each week um and paper bags were you know um stored so it's funny. I took myself back into the flat we had in Kensington, basement flat, not unlike Mrs. Harris. My parents were not well off. They were both classical musicians and not well paid. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of things I could remember about that time and uh, what people wore and how. As even now, I mean, what I'm wearing is not new. The trousers I've got on are probably a good ten years old. Um, and if you liked a period like the 40s was very flattering then Mrs Harris probably would not have updated herself to the 50s because that required more fabric if you're going to go with the new look um and so she and and Vi are, are both backdated because that's that's what we did then you know you didn't you didn't just renew it and only the rich would have gone to the deal shows and, and you know, bought the latest um look and then probably any one a season, you know, and, and and they were so classical that what Dior was doing, that you wouldn't have needed, you could have worn it for years without looking old fashioned.
1: Absolutely. You know, you mentioned the Dior show, and I think one of the most sort of impressive moments in the whole film is whenever Mrs. Harris attends the show at Dior. What was it like, you know, what was your process of sort of putting together all those looks for that scene? Because we see so many gorgeous costumes in a very rapid period of time. I mean, obviously at the true um, 1957
5: show, I believe he showed something like 128 looks, I can't remember the exact number I, I may have got that wrong but you know so we we obviously couldn't do that and anyway it <laughs> the whole film. Um, so there was a choice made I think at one point it was going to be 30 and I think we came down to 20. Dior themselves lent us five looks from their heritage collection which is not original 50s but they were remade at some point but they were all black and white so We needed to get colour in there and we needed to have the dresses that Mrs. Harris was going to to want. Dior themselves couldn't help us make the stuff because the way they work is, you know, very long. It's at least six weeks or three months or something to make a dress to their standard. They also don't have much in the archives of um, the 50s because at that time it wasn't deemed, you know, necessary to keep stuff. Um, They weren't Mm -hmm. thinking ahead, just indeed, why would they? they made the collection, the clientele bought the collection, and they moved on to the next season. So that was that was actually quite interesting. I assumed they'd have loads of stuff, but no, they don't. I think there's some stuff in um, private collections uh, around the world. But So we then realised we had to make um, Dior-worthy Dior clothing. And we were on, you know, as I said, COVID times. It wasn't easy to get fabric and all that, but it it was a question of actually getting a selection of clothes so you saw a range of day wear to evening wear always finishing apparently with wedding dress and you also saw that there were ones she would react well to and the ones she would want
2: coming up on five minute news i'm anthony davis
1: First of all, I'm fascinated by sort of the lack of archival material there, because you would expect for them to have more. (laughs) But I was curious, you know, what sort of mix did you use in the film? Were they all original creations or were you able to find some vintage pieces to use? So we had one
5: um are you talking about the general clothes or the actual deal shows just the general clothes oh the general clothes no a lot of that are are vintage pieces particularly what Leslie Manville's wearing because she is Mm. a perfect shape for she's small and she's petite but beautiful and so she fits into a lot of vintage and Cosprop have a wonderful selection of vintage clothing so I I was allowed to go there we were allowed to work there uh wearing you know the appropriate protection and um so we found a lot of original pieces, and from that I selected things I felt were Mrs. Harris worthy, you know, and then we made we made the coat because we needed a double of it. Can't remember why we needed a double, but there was a reason. Um <laughs> and obviously we made all the deal stuff. But uh, most of that film was vintage or stock pieces from either Cosprop or in. France, we went to several costume houses. Again, I had someone else there doing it and Zooming and FaceTiming and, um And then in Italy, we did it all by um, looking at, they put stuff on a stand and send it. So we had the very smart Italian costumes from Anna Moda, which looked great in the, in the clientele. I, th- I think we could only afford about 20 outfits, but you know, I mean, just sort of up the, um, the clientele at Dior look. I mean, it was done on a shoestring, I have to say, um, but with some very clever fitters and very clever crew to, to make it work. Uh,
1: and very clever
5: makers of the deal um, recreations.
1: So I obviously also want to say congratulations on your work on Cruella. Um, And I'm fascinated by, you know, there are some similarities between that and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris in terms of seeing the inside of a fashion house and also seeing some of these, you know, gowns sort of in the process of creating them as they come together. So what, you know, are there sort of extra challenges in having to figure out how to show those pieces in progress? Yes I mean what I didn't
5: want to happen was that it looked different so sometimes in a film about fashion you see things um, that are absolutely nothing to do with what that person is supposed to be making and I won't name names but there's a couple come to mind or when someone buys something which you then never see again or you know and so in both films we were very concerned that if you saw something on a stand in the atelier be it the Baroness or deals that it was actually relevant and the right shape and it looked so all the dresses that get moth-eaten in Corella, you know were never worn by anybody but were made by people who understood the Baroness's style and mm. um and would therefore legitimately be part of a show she might have might have done similarly in in the Italian deal, we had much less money it was and and Resources, but I think anything you do see, I was a bit worried by some of, you know, we just couldn't afford the set dressing that, that was needed, and we should have been able to provide. When you actually look at it, and and modern Hungarian, you know, stuff just isn't, and it's better not to show it. But I think what you do see, you do get away with. There's one bit of ribbon which is sort of un- unleashed, which looks a bit modern to me, but you know, I, I mean, hopefully, I think we did try as costume and working with Lucci, obviously and her set director nora to really try and help I and mean, we were all out to help each other because it was it was pretty tricky you know on on the budget and everything
1: it definitely does not come across that way whenever oh, really? you're watching yeah. i can promise seen, you that i've
5: only seen it once and quite a long time ago uh which is impossible the first time you see a film you don't see it you're saying oh my god why did she oh no you know all that <laughs> goes on the second time you normally can actually watch the film but the first time all you see is your own faults and and so I have only seen it once in London god it must be a year ago so my memory isn't you know perfect in any way
1: I hope you get to see it again soon and enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, it's opening here I'm, I'm not sure I must look it up
4: Mm -hmm.
1: I was also curious, you know, I felt that the London and Paris portions of the movie feel quite distinct from each other. And it felt like the costumes really helped to sort of differentiate those two worlds that we're seeing, as well as, of course, you know, the cinematography and the set design. But was that something that you wanted to sort of intentionally differentiate those two places? I think that comes across, though, in the choice of what
5: you see in Paris and what you see in London. In London, mm. you tend to see working class because that's where she mm. goes, the club, um, the races, um, the bus. Whereas in Paris, most of the crowds are centered around the Dior show. So you're seeing the clientele, the models, the, um, uh, and the people in the atelier. Um, so I, there's not much, even the streets in Paris are quite smart. And we didn't do many um crowds in the streets. There's a cinema opening, I think. So it did it for me. It I didn't have to, you know, make a difference because the worlds we were creating in
1: both places were were different anyway. I also wanted to ask sort of to wrap up. I loved a lot of pieces in, in the film. Obviously the two like main Dior dresses that we see for Mrs. Harris and but personally I loved the Vespa helmets that they're wearing whenever they're riding on it. I thought those were such a cute little touch. Did you have a favorite piece or a favorite look that you put together for the film?
5: I'd love to say I did the Vespa helmets, but I don't think we did. I think stunts did that because they had to <laughs> them because, you know, safety. Um because that really yeah. was that. we also had stunts. Stump people on them, but um no, that um yes, best for helmets are brilliant. Um <laughs> favourite piece. I still love Mrs. Harris's floral apron over floral dress, full-on floral. I it just warms my heart, and I'm very fond of Vise sort of joyous look I think I think in fact it was really sweet when she put the coat on she had a moment because she said that's my mother you know obviously her mother had had a really similar coat Aww. her mother had passed on and it was like oh you know and I thought oh my god we have absolutely hit it um you know woman from the Caribbean coming into London and, and wearing mm. this coat so that became a very dear coat to me um
1: oh that's and, lovely <laughs> yes, I adore. <laughs> And I really love the floral look, which I think, you know, you appreciate even more sort of after seeing the film and and how much flowers sort of play a role in it. Mm. Um, than, than to to have seen her in this floral look, I think is even more special. And um, then when
5: she gets at Ravisson, that's a floral, you know. So there's floral, floral, and floral. But I think, and I hope I can't remember, but she she really enjoyed her pot plants too. There was something about her, you know, having having all this little um, so I'm sure that's in in, in the film, but mm-hmm. I just um, need to see it again, really.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Truly, I think that everything came together so wonderfully. And obviously with a film that's so about fashion, the costumes feel yeah. sort of like their own character. And I think that it really brought everything together so well with the House of Dior. So truly, I'm astounded by the work that that you and your team did.
5: Well, thank you very much. Um, I think we really did enjoy it, and I have to say, Dior were were wonderful and um, very, very helpful to us.
1: Amazing. Well, I hope you enjoy it whenever you get to see the film yeah, again. Yeah, can't
5: and... wait. <laughs> I'll get to you and I'm I'll... sure
1: everyone else will as well. Good. That's that's the main Good. point. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Pleasure. Madame, may I give you a lift? Ah.
3: What was I thinking coming here? I'm just a cleaner from
4: London. No, you're a cleaner of dreams of the most beautiful gown in the world.
3: It's not sewing, it's making moonlight. You dare to follow your dreams, Mrs. Harris. Bravo.
4: This is not possible, not at all.
2: Where are you
3: going, Mrs. Harris? To see the boss. Mrs. Harris, these are for you, from Monsieur Limacu. I've spent too long on my own wishing my life away. You don't want to do the same thing. This is your chance. I have never encountered anyone that acute. Come on, girls, follow me.
4: Today, there's a new woman, a modern woman.
3: I thought it was too late. Now, I'm not so sure. Who's that bloke?
4: Looks the master himself, Monsieur Dior.
3: He looks like
1: my milkman. Hi, thank you so much for chatting with me today.
2: Hi, Nicole, lovely to meet you.
1: So I want to first ask, what drew you to you know, the project of working
2: on this film? Um, It's always a mystery to me why I choose a particular project. And what tends to happen is that there's an immediate attraction, a bit like falling in love. And then over time, you discover the deeper layers and reasons why you have to tell this story. And getting films made is often a very difficult process. This particular film took 10 years to reach the screen. So, it has to be something that grips you enough for you to stay the course. And I would say that primarily it's this character. Ada Harris is such an incredibly charming and delightful character. And her journey is an incredibly touching one. I mean, this widow who falls in love with this dress for some reason that appears to be quite mysterious, and that becomes a catalyst to an adventure that opens her heart to love again. And I think. That was a very touching story that I felt had resonance for many of the people around me and for myself as well.
1: Before you started working on the project, had you read the novella before or seen? I know there was a 1992 TV film made. Were you familiar with it?
2: Yeah, no, I knew nothing about Mrs. Harris or any of those books, although um, as soon as I lit on the project, a couple of my friends said, oh, that was my favorite childhood book. So of course, I immediately read the book as well as the script. And um, in fact, it it came to me as a script initially with another producer attached, and then that producer ended up not able to uh, renew the rights to the book. And so I took an option on the book and started from scratch with a new screenplay and eventually um a coterie of collaborators on that script but no i didn't know anything about the story and i think what immediately made me believe that i could do this is that i grew up partly in paris and partly in london and so i really felt that i could do justice to all of the french aspects of the story as well as the british
1: yeah, I absolutely love sort of getting to see both worlds, especially getting to see both worlds in the 1950s. And I think you did a really excellent job of sort of differentiating them both.
2: Great. Thank you. That was there were many tricks and techniques to try and create these two different worlds, not just language.
1: Mm-hmm. I also think that having read the novella before, because there was actually a musical made based on it um, several years ago that was done at um, in Chichester. And I think you know, you and your team did an excellent job adapting this because you know you managed to keep the spirit of it while still making changes to make it you know more cinematic. But what, whenever you you know sort of started from scratch, what was the process like of adapting it, and were there things that you really knew you wanted to make sure made it into the film?
2: Yes, absolutely. So I mean, I think Gallico puts quite a few challenges in the way of a, of anyone adapting this story. There's a real danger that it could become very twee and kind of cute um we're really not helped by his dialogue, which i mean uh God rest his soul is terrible um <laughs> it's really really kind of cod cockney. Gallico wasn't British, but he adopted Britain as his second uh home second country um and yes the 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 mrs harris's dialogue is is truly embarrassing to our eyes now so that was one of the challenges uh, but also he doesn't he doesn't really give her a strong reason for wanting this dress he kind of makes a, some kind of a side about her being attracted to beauty or like all women she loves frivolous things or I don't know something very very unsatisfying I think from a from a movie point of view so um, we 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 focused in on her widowhood and the The fact that this dress becomes a catalyst rather than the dress itself is the object of desire. What she really wants is some form of love and companionship again. And that's what this dress begins. That's the process that that begins with falling in love with this dress. I used to have this slightly crazy theory, which is that even though her husband was dead, she still felt a loyalty to him and felt that to fall in love with another man would have been cheating on her husband even though he wasn't around anymore and so falling in love with this dress this inanimate object is not cheating but it stirs up all the same feelings that falling in love with a person might stir up and so once those feelings are stirred up she's you know her motor's running and she's now ready when the marquis comes around to consider is this why Is this why I've come to Paris, Um, to meet someone? And then, of course, she realizes that Archie, who's been there all along, her adventure has changed something in her, which makes her visible to him for the first time and him to her.
1: Absolutely. And I think that moment where she first sees the dress in, you know, her client's room is such a special moment in the way that it, you know, sparkles in the sunlight. And it reminded me of whenever you have one of those sort of rom-coms and and the two love interests meet for the first time and (laughs) everything sort of slows down. And um, was it important to you to sort of get that moment right so that it could be the catalyst for the rest of that action in the film?
2: Absolutely. I can't tell you how much thought and care went to that particular moment, because what I wanted to create was sometimes in the past when I've fallen in love, I feel like I'm falling into a vortex. Mm. And that's the feeling that I wanted to give the audience, that she's falling into a vortex of, you know, the whole world is disappearing around her and all there is is this object of her intense adoration. And so we have this floating camera shot um, as she goes towards the dress and her point of view. and, And as you say, the sparkle. So the cameraman came up with this idea that the sun suddenly comes out when she sees the dress. So her otherwise drab world is transformed into a world of light and magic. And the music was a very important element as well to give that sense of intensity and and love and I always encouraged the composer to to create something that had an ambiguity about it so that it wouldn't become syrupy um it had to be mysterious the way falling in love is mysterious so I'm, I'm really glad that you felt that it was like one of those rom-com moments <laughs> I'm really <laughs> pleased about that
1: so The character of Mrs. Harris is fantastic, and I think Leslie Manville is just perfect casting, and she brings so much and so many layers to her performance. At what point in the making of the movie did she sort of come on board? You know, was that one of the earlier decisions, or was that later? Hey Hey there!
5: I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at
2: Evergreenpodcasts.com. see you soon um this is a very difficult role to cast because what you need is a leading lady who's actually a character actress so Mm. it wouldn't have Unfortunately, most leading ladies are come from the femme fatale school. Um, they're not character actors. Uh, you know, if you think about Julia Roberts or, you know, many of these, you know, beautiful women tend to be, and I'm not saying that Leslie is not beautiful because she absolutely is beautiful, but um, she's also an older woman, and it's it's a very limited field when you're casting an older. Uh, actress not because there aren't many fabulous older actresses around but very few carry enough box office weight to be able to justify the budget of a movie and when Leslie who I'd always had in my sights when she was nominated for an Oscar for Phantom Thread I immediately started to campaign for her and say surely now she is worthy of her own leading role and movie that she can carry. And I'm just delighted that she loved the film, the, the script as much as, as, as we did and, you know, came on board very quickly once she read it.
1: Amazing. You have an absolutely fantastic cast overall, though, obviously between the, you know, part of the characters who are in London and the ones who are in Paris. Was there anyone that you were particularly excited to get to work with or maybe someone whose performance took you by surprise?
2: I can answer that with uh, two words in both cases. Isabelle Huppert. (laughs) Um, I mean, who would not want to work with possibly France's greatest living actress? In fact, I think in the New York Times, she was listed as the greatest actress in the world, because although she was number two, she was after Denzel Washington and... (laughs) he's not an actress, so she was the greatest actress in the world, Um, and you would have thought that would be very intimidating in a way. Um, She often plays quite fearsome and frightening characters, but she is the most intelligent, warm, open, willing actor to work with, and from the moment we met, there was an immediate understanding and connection and um, she brought a cookiness to the character, which I absolutely wasn't expecting. So I think she saves the character from being a two-dimensional cliché by making her a little bit awkward, a little bit imperfect in her attempts at perfection, um, which is just a stroke of genius. And then, of course, there's the last scene with her where all is revealed. She's completely unmasked. She's vulnerable. and. I think only an actress of her stature can pull off a scene like that and make you so moved and um, and warm towards a character that up until then has been the nemesis in the film.
1: That scene is absolutely lovely. I know that you've directed you know many short films before and several full length films, but do you feel that you know you learned lessons uh, directing this movie that you'll take forward in your career?
2: Great question. Um, the problem with directing and particularly directing features is that um they're very very expensive to do and it's quite hard to get them off the ground and so as a director you don't get that many air miles you know every time you make a movie uh it's like learning to fly a plane and you need, you need a certain number of hours in the air flying hours not air miles that's what i meant to say so um, to rephrase the the great thing about making a film is that each time you make one, you you get more time in the air, you get more time to practice your craft, and you learn an enormous amount so you take huge leaps forward with each movie. This is my fourth feature it 's my third fiction film a uh, fiction feature and I would say each one has really um, has really taught me an enormous amount as a director, so I feel more and more. Uh, capable of flying the next plane, that's for sure.
1: And just to finish up, do you have a favourite scene in the movie, one that you're you know, excited for people to finally get to see?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, the fashion show is obviously, uh, you know, the centrepiece of the whole film. And I think for many people, it is one of the most enjoyable uh, scenes in the film. But there are many, many moments that are extremely touching, and I think that's what's surprising to people who come and see this film. Maybe they think they're going to come and see a comedy or something light and fun and escapist, but I think what they're not expecting is to be profoundly moved by the story. And there's one moment in particular that always gets me, even now when I watch the film, which is when she's finished her adventure in Paris, and she's at the train station and she's brought the two young lovers together. And the tramp says to her, "Um, you did not find love in Paris? And she says, oh, no, no, no. Um, I thought it was too late, but now I'm not so sure. The way she says that is just so tremendously touching and in a way sums up what the whole adventure is about. That's. I think that's a great moment in the film.
1: It is. It's such a beautiful moment. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I'm so excited for other people to see this movie. And I can't wait to watch it again with my mom. So.
2: Wonderful. Please see it as many times as possible.
1: I definitely <laughs> will be. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great thank rest you. of your day.
2: You too. Take
0: care. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Nicole Ackman's interviews with the stars of the new film Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Leslie Manville and Lucas Bravo. The film's Academy award-winning costume designer, Jenny Bevan, and the writer, producer, and director, Anthony Fabian. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is now playing in theaters from Focus Features. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.